Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. Uh, so glad that you are all here. Make sure I'm not on mute. Okay. Amen. Um, thank you for joining us here tonight. Um, so looking forward to our service tonight. Um, I do want to um, kind of share some things here before we get started. Um, I want to, you know, welcome the first time guests. Thank you for um, watching this and being part of us. It, please like and share um, the video. And um, so we can tell your friends, but also it's a, a way for us to uh, kind of reach out to you and get to know you. Um, also, you can uh, visit our small groups on newarkupc.info. Um, you know, all our information is there. You can also see the week's theme. And uh, this week's theme is about the good, the bad, and the really ugly. Um, and that's kind of what we're going to be looking at. As you can see, I have my... Uh, um, my little cowboy um, uh, front here. It, it's actually not a face mask for when I go out, but it's actually a, a little a bandana right here. So I could, you know, uh, keep the dust out of my eyes as I'm riding down the horse um, and here in Tombstone. But the good, the bad, and the ugly uh, is kind of the, the theme today. But before we begin, um, I do wanna uh, do a prayer. Um, I'm praying for uh, my brother, Brother Klein, um, he is in the ER and, um, we want to just pray for his family. Um, and we're going to pray God's touches, his wife, sister Klein. And, um, and we're just going to pray for my brother. Um, and if whatever God decides, um, we know he is in good hands. In Jesus name, Lord, we pray God for my brother, brother Klein. I pray that you touch, um, his wife and you also touch his his kids, Lord, and, and their family, God. And um, he, Lord, is a pillar in this church, Lord. And I pray, God, that you be with him, Jesus, as he is in the ER, Lord God. And I pray, Lord, whatever happens tonight, Jesus, I pray that he is in your hands. And God, if it's his time, Jesus, I pray that you accept him with open arms. And, and Lord, be with his wife, be with his family. Um, and I pray, Lord, that you touch him in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Um, it also makes me think of the Shaw family as well. Keep them in prayer. Uh, Bill Shaw did pass away um, and he is in the hands of the master. Um, so we'll just keep praying, continue to pray for Brother Herman Klein um, Sr. And um, pray that God is with his family. The good, the bad, and the ugly. Um, so I'm going to be focusing on uh, the good here. And uh, as you can see, we've been talking about the kings and queens uh, here in the Old Testament. And the particular queen I picked, um, no bias at all, um, is going to be Esther. And I, uh, I picked Queen Esther. Um, and I want to look at her story. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read a little bit of scripture. Uh, we're going to look in the book, of, the book of Esther, chapter one. So if you have a book uh, with you or uh, some type of device that's not your phone that you're watching this or you're watching this on your TV, some type of somewhere you have the scriptures where you can kind of pull them. And um, and the question is, if you don't have it readily accessible, um, why don't you have the scriptures readily accessible? You should always have that readily accessible in case if, you know, God gives you a thought or or maybe God is speaking to you or just in case, just to, it's always good to just kind of pull it out and just read a little bit, just to kind of encourage yourself in the Lord. Um, 
but here we go. We're going to look at uh, the book of Esther, and I'm going to look at chapter one, and I'm going to look at verse one. I'm just going to kind of read, you know, line by line here. Uh, I won't read the whole book, but I have a point. You're just going to have to stick with me. Um, so we're going to look at verse one. The following events happen in the days of Echarezas. I am referring to that Echarezas, who used to rule over 127 provinces, extending all the way from India to Ethiopia. That's a massive kingdom, 127 provinces. That's massive. So it's, it's it, th here we go. The scriptures are talking about this, this grandeur of this Persian king and, and look at how massive his empire is um, from India all the way to Ethiopia. If anybody knows the, the map of, of the Middle East there, it's, it's pretty much all of the Middle East and, and part of, um, of, of Africa and then also the Southeast Asia. Um, massive, massive bounce. And then in verse two, and in those days, as King Echares sat on his royal throne in Susa, the citadel, which is the capital, one of the capitals of the Persian empire. In verse three, in the third year of his reign, he provided a banquet for all his officials and his servants. The army of Persia and Media was present. By the way, I'm reading the, the net version. So the entire army of Persia and Media was present, as well as the nobles and the officials of the provinces. So this is like a big dignitary banquet. I mean, everybody's there. You got Putin and you got, you know, you got the premier of China and you have all the world leaders are here at this banquet. Everybody's there. Every world leader is there and they're all just sitting down and they're eating in this, this big banquet. Verse four, and he displayed the riches of his royal glory and the splendor of his majestic greatness for a lengthy period of time. So this was about pomp and circumstance. He's trying to show how wealthy he is. He's trying to show how elegant and how radiant his kingdom is. He's just showing off. And he just wants the, the ambiance and the aurora of this, of this, this palace. And, and he's, trying to, he's trying to convince these world leaders of what a great and successful ruler he is. And look at this, 180 days to be exact. That is six months. So it's a six-month banquet. That's insane. A six-month banquet. This isn't like a week banquet, which I think is still pretty big. No, no, he's he's stretching this out. He is pulling this out. They're having all kinds of food and dishes prepared. And again, this is a very, this is a very ceremonial. It's this awe and, and this amazing atmosphere where everybody just sees this, this wonderful king. Verse 5. And when those days were completed, then the king then provided a seven-day banquet for all the people who were present in Susa, the citadel. So in addition to the six months, he's going to do another seven-day banquet. For those of the highest standing in the, to the most lowly, it was held in the court located in the garden of the royal palace. 
Oh, and I'm sure it was an immaculate garden. Verse six, and the furnishings included. Oh, we want to look at the furnishings here. This is a big deal. White linen. White linen. And blue curtains hung by the cords of the finest linen. And purple wool on silver rings. Purple, a very difficult color to make. Purple wool on silver rings and alabaster columns. Alabaster columns. You know about the alabaster box, right? Remember Jesus, the, the lady who washed his feet? Alabaster box. Alabaster columns. Gold and silver displayed on the floor made of valuable stones of alabaster and mother of pearl and mineral stone. And to be frank, some of the... Hebrew words, they don't know what they are. And they're just based on conjecture and what they can kind of figure out through the whole context. It's it's some kind of stone. They don't know what kind of stone. <laughs> and of course, so it's, it, does it affect the, you know, salvation or like that? No, it's just, we just don't know how to, what kind of stone it is. So, you know, the translators just pick a stone. I mean, not any kind of stone, but something that was uh, local to that area. A mineral stone. That's a pretty generic. A mineral stone. The drinks were served in golden containers. Oh, man. Nothing more impressive than when you walk into somebody's house and they got the fancy china out. You know, we usually do that once a year, um, you know, for, for Thanksgiving and Christmas. We bring out the fancy, you know, the fancy china that you're not supposed to use in a dishwasher. Um, um, all of which from one another. So this wasn't just, again, these are, these are handcrafted, personalized mugs and cups made out of gold for all those who are at the banquet. I mean, just, just think of the detail that's gone into this. The drinks were served in golden containers, all of which differ from one another. Royal wine was available in abundance at whose expense? The king's expense. It's under his tab. So everybody is drinking the best wine and they can drink as much as they want because the king is footing the bill. There were no restrictions on the drinking. We want to make sure we get this really clear. Not only was he going to go ahead and take the expense of all these drinks, but there were no restrictions. You could drink as much as you want. Oh man, just as much as you want. For the king had instructed all his supervisors that they should do as everyone so desired. So literally in El Carte Blanc, whatever you want to do here in this kingdom, if you want to go bowling, you want to go bungee jumping, you want to go parachuting, whatever, whatever activity you want, you go right ahead. And, 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 and my servants are here to serve you. And queen, look at verse nine. Queen Vashti also gave a banquet for the women in King Akharsha's royal palace. So there, she's also has her own banquet on top of the banquet with another banquet. So there's all these like banquets. It's just a big celebration for six months. And here, and this is the six months in that week. And here's on the seventh day. And then on the seventh day of this long celebration in this grand celebration where everybody gets to see how amazing this Persian king is. And as King Ahasuerus was feeling the effects of the wine. So 
It took him six months and seven days to feel the effects of the wine. Yes, he must have been an alcoholic. Um, he must have drank a lot of wine to be able to go that long before he finally feels the effects of wine. And he ordered Mehumin, Bestha, Harbona, Bigtha, Abagatha, Zathar, and Karkas, the seven eunuchs who attended him. This, these are very specific names. By the way, these are genealogies. These are very specific names. They're, the, the narrator here is, is trying to make sure we look at, okay, these are, these are very important people here that are serving the king. They're serving this immaculate, wonderful king who's providing all of this celebration. And he, to attend, it says, to bring Queen Vashti into the king's presence wearing her royal high turban. And he wanted to show the people and the officials her beauty for she was very attractive. So here's this massive celebration. Everybody, I mean, now it's talking about this grandeur, this, this ambiance of this wonderful palace. And everybody, you know, is, is intoxicated with the king and intoxicated with the atmosphere. And, and this is just such a wonderful place to be. And, and then he says, bring me my queen, because I'm just going to ante it up a little bit here. I'm going to go ahead. Not only have you seen all these wonderful cups, by the way, who are, you know, no two are alike, just so you know, they're all personalized. And you've seen all my jewelry and gold and all the food and the that you get to stuff your face and I put no limitations on what you can do. And now I'm going to even take it up a little higher here. I want to go ahead and show off my queen, my beauty, because she's very attractive. Verse 12. But Queen Vashti refused to come at the king's bidding, conveyed through the eunuchs. Then the king became extremely angry and his rage consumed him. Obviously, I get the sense people don't say no to this king very often. I mean, somebody who has all this grandeur and all this pomp and circumstance to show how you know amazing and great and powerful he really is. He doesn't get no very often. And that really, really jived him that this queen would say no. It's amazing to sit in the presence of this most powerful king. And you can see what the king is doing. He's, he's creating this atmosphere, this, this intoxicating place where you are completely enamored and in awe of the king and you are influenced by him and the pressure and you want to say yes to this king you want to say what do you want me to do and this this king and and the, what he's providing and all the amazing things he's giving you you don't say no to this king this is a king you always say yes to and no matter how crazy it is you find a way to make it happen because because look at where you are. You're in this grand palace. What amazing thing. This isn't very, you know, it, it's, it's, it's a strategy. It's a, it's a tactical move by the king. And this isn't something new. I mean, 
it's it hasn't gone away. We still do this. Um, me and my kids, we were we were driving and <clears throat> we heard that the president was in town, and so we we drove past Newcastle and saw the Air Force One. Uh, of course, it's not the Boeing seven forty seven. It's it's another model. It's a smaller model. But we got to see Air Force One. That was really cool. I've never, I've never seen the the plane. I've seen it always. I've seen it flying. Um, I've never been inside of it. But uh, it was, it was really cool. And Air Force One is designed with that in mind. And um, I want to read this writer, Peter Conrad, because he writes about Air Force One. And so he says. So long as the doctrine of American isolation prevailed, the presidency was a desk job tethered to Washington, D.C. But when the U.S. acquired global power after 1945, the president took to the air, traveling in a plane that has come to represent the ubiquity and the intimidating might of this ultimate empire. Equipped with surveillance systems that can eavesdrop on the lowly world it overflies, Allegedly able to fire missiles and to withstand a nuclear blast, Air Force One is evidence of dominance. Even if we don't accept American superiority, we bow down before the American immensity, the customized 747 currently in use, in as tall as six-story building and as long as a football field. Air Force One is America with wings, mechanized version of the beaked pinioned eagle. A predator that clutches its claws, twin bundles of peacemaking olive branches, and spiky militarized arrows that appears on the country's great seal. When you go to Air Force One, you are the, the, the atmosphere, and, and really it's the president's home court advantage. Lyndon B. Johnson actually used it quite a bit. He, used, he would invite senators into the to Air Force One and and it was to pressure sometimes the senators and his agenda. And, um, and it's still being used today. It flies around and it, um, you know, it, it tells the world, you know, the president's in town and it, and it demonstrates the, the power and the ambiance of, of, of what it means to be, an, you know, well, our view of what it means to be an American. But, but it, it's, this, it's, this, it's again, this, this, this creating this, this culture, this atmosphere where there's this, you know, this pressure to, to do the president's bidding when you walk into this. And we see this is something that the king does as well. He has these royal subjects and he puts everybody in front of him, all these yes men, and he brings all these world leaders and he demonstrates his power and, and he creates this atmosphere, this pressure to, you always wanna say yes to this king. I mean, who wouldn't? I mean, if you're in Air Force One and you're flying around with the president and he says, I need you to, quit your job and do something for me. I and mean, you're like, okay, president, I, I'm, I'm great. This is great. I'm in the Air Force One. I mean, you, this, this ambiance again, it, it's creating um, to these foreign dignitaries. And so you can see how the story is now set up. This pressure, this, this, this you don't say no to this king. And, and of course, once Queen Vashta declines the king's request, which you should never do, you know, he, of course, looks for a new queen and a new queen and Esther kind of pops up and Esther comes along and and then everybody's talking about Esther and then Esther wins favor of of all the people and rises up and eventually wins the favor of the king. And then Esther becomes queen of Persia. And and she, of course, she loves the king and she loves the experience. And 
the the intoxicating atmosphere. It's just wonderful. And and here is Esther, a good good queen. But we, you know what we've been talking about? We haven't been talking about the bad. And there is an evil man named Haman who wants to destroy the Jews. And he is setting it up where he's, he talks to the king and he gets the king's royal ring and he sets out this decree that on some day that they're going to go ahead and kind of destroy all the Jews in a couple of weeks from now. And Mordecai, which is uh, Mordecai, who um, is Esther's uh, step-in father, really is his cousin, but um, he finds out and he is devastated and he starts to fast and he has, you know, sack and, you know, ash cloth and he can't go into the court. He can't go and talk to the king because he does not have the right attire. He doesn't have royal attire to go see the king. And he's not going to change because he is right now grieving and praying for God to step in and save his people. Esther gets wind of it. And Esther goes to him and gives him clothes and says, just put these clothes on. Let's fit in. Ooh, I feel like preaching. Come on, let's put these clothes on and you can come talk to the king. Come on, this, it's not, come on, this is an amazing atmosphere. This is a wonderful place. And Esther doesn't realize what the pressure of the courts and the pressure of the king and all that that's influencing her. And she goes to, and Mordecai comes back and says, no, you need to go talk to the king and save your people. Oh, I can't do that. I mean, you have to be called by the king. I could be killed. And this is a, a great king, a, a mighty king. And look how grand he is. Did you notice his cups don't match the other one? And they have fancy knobs. And they're all personalized with your name on it. Oh, come on, you just don't talk to somebody like that. They have to call you. And Mordecai said, well, you replaced it for such a time as this. And here's the cool thing about Esther. She is in turmoil because she doesn't know what to do. She knows she has to take care of her step-in-father and her people. But man, the pressure. The pressure that's coming, the court system, the systems, she has to go against all of that. And here's, here's, here's uh, chapter five, verse one. I know I'm running out of time here. Chapter five, verse one. And it so happened that on the third day, Esther put on her royal attire, stood in the inner court of the palace opposite the king's quarters. And the king was sitting on his royal throne in the palace in the opposite entrance. She walked in and the king noticed her. And when the king saw Queen Esther standing in the court, she met with his approval and the king extended to Esther the golden scepter that was in his hand and Esther approached and touched the end of the scepter. I wonder how many steps it was that Esther had to walk to get to the king. I wonder if she had doubts about what she's gonna do. Maybe she was just gonna say, you look great today. That's all I wanted to do. And I'm not gonna tell you about what my people are suffering and that there is an evil man named Hammond that you think is amazing. He was actually gonna destroy my people. And by the way, I did not realize how big this palace is. 
wow, look at the amazing place. But she walked step by step and she went to the king and she invited him to a banquet. And Esther did eventually talk to the king and Haman did pay the price. The pressures that Esther had to face and still listen to God's voice in the midst of social pressures to ignore what God had called her to do and to just blend in. There are societal pressures, my dear brothers and sisters. There's family pressures. There is workplace pressures. There's work pressures. There's close friends pressures. There's anything that puts pressure on you to do what God has called you to do. Because we're all called to do something. We're all called. And these pressures push us back down. We listen to the voice of God. But we're afraid of the voice of God. <laughs> we beg for God to speak to us. And when he does, we don't like what he has to say. The pressures we see the amazing palace and the cups and the personalized golden cups and and we don't want to do what he's called us to do we don't want to step in what he's called us to step into and we feel the pressures and we blend in we step back somebody else will do it lord and the voice of god gets Drowned out by these pressures, these, these things that just kind of come and we all face them. And, and God is aware of it. He's aware of it. And Esther still walked to the most powerful king and told her what is happening. That's what incredible bravery. She risked her reputation. She risked her life. She risked her finances. She risked everything to save her people. Now that, my dear brothers and sisters, is a good queen. She risked it all because of the voice of God. We don't like the voice of God because the voice of God calls us to do something scary. Something that goes against every fiber of your being. The Lord is calling you to walk down that long courtyard way to the palace and into the king and confront the king. And ask you to talk to the king. The voice of God is clear. Just doubt it. Not stutter. God speaks very clearly. God knows very clearly what He wants you to do. He knows very clearly where you're at and what you're facing, and He understands who He is talking to. He knows your weaknesses, He knows your trepidations, He knows your fears and your doubts, but yet He still calls you and He still tells you, I want you to walk to that king and tell him what I told you of God is clear, but the pressures of the courts, the pressures of the atmosphere, the pressures of society and our family push us back down 
was not God. God did not speak to me. That was myself. Have you done that, right? Oh, no, that was not me. That was God. It, it, it just comes. It just, it, you're always dealing with it. When Jesus, when he is tempted and goes into the wilderness, Luke talks about it where he, he passes all the tests and the devil leaves him for what? A season. Every level, you've got a new challenge and a new devil. Are you going to be committed to the voice of God? Are you going to be committed to what you heard? Thus saith the Lord. Are you going to make sure it's inside of you, no matter the societal pressures, no matter what you see, what you observe? Because again, Esther had no idea that God was working behind the scenes. You see, she, she, she's walking down thinking everything relies on her. No, 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 no. God wakes the king up and he wants him to read the records. He reads the records and he finds out that Mordechai saved his life. Amazing. God's perfect timing. And Mordechai, instead of being hung on the gallows, who is but the evil Haman? Oh, God is working behind the scenes. I'm sorry. You just won't be able to see it. He's not going to show you all his cards because he wants you to know. Will you just rely on his voice? Is his voice enough for you? Or do you have to see signs and wonders? Do you literally have to see physical manifestations before you do what he's called you to do? You see and hear and obey the voice of God. He has not changed. He has still called you. He has still great plans for you. But you have back in some ways. You've blended in the pressures of life have slowed you down. They've slowed you down. I want us to pray. Jesus, precious name. God, I love you, Lord. I worship you, Jesus. God, I trust in your voice. I recognize your voice and what it's called me to do. Lord, I will not question it, no matter how I observe, Lord, even though what you've called me to do doesn't make sense, Lord, even though I don't see how it's all going to play out, I'm still going to trust in you. I'm still going to put my faith in you, Lord, because I know just like with Esther, Lord, you are working behind the scenes, even though I can't see it. You're on my side, even though I can't see it, Lord. You're putting all the pieces together, Jesus, so that I can go ahead and say, look what the Lord has done. Love you, Jesus. Worship you. In your precious name we pray. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah, hallelujah, Jesus, hallelujah. Whoo, man, hallelujah, Jesus, hallelujah. I know, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm, I'm way past my time. Jesus' name, Jesus' name, Lord, who is this for, Lord? Oh, Jesus, 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 Jesus. He's working right now, my dear brothers and sisters. He's working in your life right now. 
I know you might be in your car, you're at your workplace, or you're at your home, and there might be kids running around, but I want you to just pray with me, God. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah, 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 Jesus. God, take me back to what I first heard from you, Jesus. Take me back, Lord God. Nothing has changed, Jesus. You've still called me, Lord God. You've still put something in my heart, Jesus. God, I've heard your voice. I've heard it clearly, Lord. No matter what society says, Jesus, I will do what you've called me to do. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for joining us. Um, NewarkUPC.info, please. Prayer requests, partner with us in giving. Like and share and, and, and be part of us as we continue to talk about the word of God and we continue to break bread and be with one another. And, um, and please, please, please connect with us again tomorrow as we continue this amazing theme. Thank you so much. God's on your side. You're going to be all right. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus.